Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. All right, everybody, welcome back to Talking Comics. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, creator of Love and Capes, writer of the upcoming uh, My Little Pony, uh, Tom Zoller. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, we are, Bob has been extolling the virtues of Love and Capes <laughs> for months now, um, and so we are really, really excited to, to get you on the show. Just, just months. I've been doing it for years now. We just, he just, just found out. Yeah, I just found out. I, I, I said this to Bobby before. When the uh, initial promotions came out, it's like, oh, I really want to read this. My local store never got many, and they all seem to sell out. So caught up eventually yeah. with the newest series. I'm, I'm sorry. You cut out at that last part. Oh, um, what happened is, generally speaking, my local store got one or two copies, never made it to the shelves on the initial run of those things. So now it's just, no, I have to make sure I get these. So Oh, yeah, yeah. Much better, the, much better it's shape It's been now. weird with the distribution sometimes. I, I think shops are ordering for orders, but they're not ordering shelf copies every once in a while. And I'm a small book. I mean, I kind of understand it, but it makes it hard to, to get people interested in it once they hear about it, and it's already been listed in previews. Right, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so Why we're here, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, I like to start kind of every interview asking, you know, what's your origin story? How'd you get started uh, in, in the business? Oh, um, I was rocketed from a dying planet. And then, <laughs> uh, I went to the Kubert School. Um, all my life, I knew I wanted to be a cartoonist, uh, much to the consternation of my mother sometimes. Uh, fortunately, we had an agreement that if I got good grades, I could go wherever I wanted to. So I made sure I had my 4.0, and then I said, all right, I'm going to art school. Um, so I did Cubert for three years, graduated, uh, worked at an amusement park for a while, was an art director for an ad agency, but all the while I was freelancing comic books. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and, and did you really kind of develop your style at the Cubert school or did you have an idea of what you wanted, you know, to be before you went there? My style has changed when I was at the Cubert school, I was very much, uh, George Perez by way of Kurt Swan and not particularly great at it. I was <laughs> I was solid, but I was probably a, a decent C draftsman. It was when I started doing a lot more cartooning work when I was doing advertising illustration and newspaper illustration that I hit on this, you know, more the, the Darwin Cook animated series style, which I stopped trying to push my art in a way that apparently I wasn't supposed to go. I steered into the skit, and I think it's worked out really well since then. Absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Bob, you have any, a question you want to ask? Sure. Uh, right off the bat, for people who don't know, this is a romantic comedy that is both funny and romantic. So that's you know a blessing in an era of uh, movie comedies that that doesn't work at. But you have so much fun with the the tropes and and general things that we see in regular superhero comics. But yet you use them 
in a really nice way that they're they're commented on but they're there how do you find that balance that's going to be pretty difficult to get that to work the way it does so well yeah i i tend to treat it as if it is an honest to god regular superhero book it's i've compared it to the george reeves adventures of superman show perfect where he was very avuncular and the, the menaces weren't particularly bad i mean you have a meteor coming towards earth and panic in the sky but it was generally Muggsy it, Mapo or something. <laughs> yeah, but it was also it was also low key. But it was never you know somebody with a gun was always meant to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. So all the all the tropes that I, I reference, they're actual things. I'm not I'm not playing with them just for the sake of the joke. It's you know for him pretending to be a guy that he's not, and you know doing the glasses and some of the Clark Kent mm-hmm. stuff. I play that straight. He actually does worry about his identity from time to time. And, you know, he has made the, made the decision, unlike Superman, that he hasn't said that he's good friends with Clark Kent. And no, why would you ever think that we'd be in the same photo? Why? <laughs> that's, that's confusing to me. You know, he, he is a guy who's a superhero and doesn't pretend that the two of them know each other. It makes it a lot easier to keep those two, uh, those two identities separate. Right, yeah, if you had probably started on writing a comedy and tried to make it serious, the balance mm-hmm. would be way off. Where here it's 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 that you mentioned George Reeves, it's that wink he would give to the camera at the end of an episode. We yeah. know he's Superman, but shh, Lois doesn't be quiet. Yeah, and some of this some of it came about because there was a superhero book I wanted to do Windstar who um appears oh, in Love and Capes yep. and uh yeah, I'm just going to assume that most people listening that I can I can do spoilers. Um, but he has a really rough day at the end of uh, issue five of Love and Capes Ever After. Um, but I liked writing a lot of the moments between being superheroes. So a lot of Love and Capes came from that original plot where all the B story stuff that I was going to do with Windstar eventually became the A story for Love and Capes. Wow. Now, that issue is one of my favorites. Uh, oh, thank you. It is really touching. We, we, you know, he does have a rough day. Uh, but it, that's what leads into the new series, in essence, where they want to do something life-affirming. Yes. Abby and Mark. And th- that's just such a great moment. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I worked hard at that. When I, was, when I told people I was killing a character off, they're like, but this is a comedy comic. And I said, yes, this is, the, this is one of the very special episodes. Mm-hmm. And when you decide to do that, you really have to – you've got to stick that landing. I had, this, I had the same – fear when i when i got them married i had the same fear when abby had superpowers for for a short period of time that you know you have to if you're going to build up to a point you have to make it work you know th- that's another special issue the whole i'm sorry to monopolize this guy okay. I'm, I'm having a great time thank you tom <laughs> um the idea that you know to bond with mark she has to you know live what he does in a way but then learns that well you can't save everybody Oh yeah, and that—that's the first time there was ever death at all in in Love and Capes that I can recall. And yeah, it was the first time I it was the first time I hit that note. Um, I don't know if you remember Family Ties. There was an episode where Alex's best friend dies in a car accident, oh, yes. and the yeah. whole episode is like a black open stage where he's talking to an unseen psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was a brilliant episode. And that's that's kind of in tone what I was trying to do with this, where there's this moment where it's it's going to get really serious and you have to be true to the characters in the situation the the problem i ran into when i was writing that is abby gets powers 
and I was going to give her an artificial time limit and I was going to make it like a day. And then I realized I didn't have all the time to do the story that I wanted to do all the, all the situations she would be in. So the idea of her giving up the powers when she decided she didn't want them anymore, I thought was, you know, it, I thought that was a really strong idea to have. And it comes about, like I said, I was irritatingly smart in school, but I never wanted to be a doctor. You know, if, if I draw somebody's arm wrong, they're still going to be able to walk. You know, when you're a doctor, there, there are huge consequences to what you do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, oh, that's that's not a thing I want to do. And it was very much that for Abby, where if she got powers permanently, she'd find a way to deal with it. And she'd be a perfectly fine hero. But that is not what she wants to be. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a question. You know, you've been doing this for a while now, like, uh, like you said. Um, what is it like? I mean, you said you're a small book and sometimes distribution can be a problem. Um, how's it been, you know, working with IDW and kind of, you know, you've kept at this, even though maybe the book hasn't, you know, sold gangbusters. Um, and, but you have obviously have a dedicated uh, fan base. What has it been like to kind of grow the book along that time? Oh, that, that's been great. Love and Capes uh, was self-published for the first 13 issues. Okay. So I did the entire thing. I, you know, I brokered the printing. I did the shipping, you know, got, got my uh, books into Diamond, all of that stuff. Being with IDW has let me offload a lot of the, a lot of the work of producing a comic, so that I can concentrate on actually making the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made it a lot more reliable to get into stores where they may, there are comic shops which are certainly not ordering extra copies to have on the stands, which you know spaces at such a premium. Yeah, they know how to run comic shops. I'm not going to get in the middle of that, but it's made it very reliable for people to get the books. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a self-publisher, everybody thinks you're going to flame out, so they order kind of accordingly. You know, oh, will this book actually show up? Oh, he says it's coming out, but will it actually be out on time? Um, being with IDW has given me a schedule and a reliability to get into shops, which is has just been great. And they have been doing the trade paperbacks, which are, you know, the evergreen part of of my retail chain and for getting books out. Where that is not something I could have done on my own. Uh, to be able to afford to print those books at the quality that they did and take that kind of risk. I, that's not something I could have done, but IDW has made it possible. And that has gotten the collections in the libraries and been passed around. And it's, you know, that is the stock that they can always order that if the shop didn't get ever after they can get, you know, the, um, wake up where you are trade paperback. Um, just a follow up question to that, but you were doing self publishing and, uh, would you have just considered going digital with something like Monkey Brain or working out something with Comixology to bring it all online versus trying to get it distributed like physically? Or did you specifically want people to be able to go out to a comic book store and pick it up? These days I might. I started Love and Capes in 2006, mm-hmm. if I remember right. So um, digital distribution wasn't quite where it is now. So one of the things I like about places like Comixology is there, there are two, three places to go to get books. So it makes it easy for people to find them rather than distribute them on just on your website, which is what I would have had to do back then. Um, when I did Love and Capes, I wanted to have one book. I, I had just done three trade paperbacks in my action venture character, Raider, which I thought went pretty well, but they didn't find an audience and it was a harder sell and it was a lot more work. And I was, I was fighting against type for what I was drawing. I think I was writing it fine, but I don't know that I was the person to be drawing it. Um, so when I did love and capes, I said, I'm going to do one 24 page comic and that's it. 
you know, if I don't, that way I can walk away from this. I don't have to, I don't have to do another one if I ever, if I don't want to. And then 13 issues later, I'm moving into IDW and, and keep putting it out. So it kind of took on a life of its own. So when you made that decision, you know, to, to self-publish, to be a self-starter, you know, what drove you to do that? Was it, were you trying to, you know, pitch to companies and it wasn't happening or you decided to just take it into your own hands and go for it? It was a little bit of both. Um, at Qbert, they teach you how to do everything. So I was trying more to get, let, uh, I was doing a fair amount of lettering work, um, trying to get more inking work. And I thought I was strong enough to write, but I didn't have any credits for people to believe me. So I just kind of got sick of waiting and I decided to do my own book, which was Raider in 2002. Um, and that was a plan I had had in various capacities since I was at the Qbert school. And then having, I made most of my mistakes with Raider and it was easier to decide how to get a book into diamond and what style to do and what format to do. And all those things Raider informed a lot of the decisions I made with love and capes. Great. Uh, you know, we have a couple questions just really quick from, uh, from our listeners and, um, you know, uh, Robert Gall and R Rich Wyman kind of had kind of questions that really went, went together in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he asked, did Superman and Lois Lane's relationship influence Love and Capes at all? If not, where did the story come from? And Robert Gall asked, what inspired you to write the book about a human and superhero couple? So, you know, they're very much intertwined. Um, Superman and Lois Lane played a large part in it. Uh, part of it was when Superman and Lois got married in, in the 90s. They get engaged for about six months before he tells her who, she, who he is. Mm -hmm. And that always bothered me. Because if you're in love with a person, if you're if you're saying I'm going to marry you, that's when you put cards on the table. You don't, you know, you say, well, I'm a I'm a Catholic and I want to have kids and I'm a superhero. You don't wait until, you know, you've started booking a hall and say, oh, there's this thing I forgot to tell you. It's not really big, but I'm less a Krypton. Um, so <clears throat> trying to treat that relationship right was part of what I was doing. Um, some of my theories about the Superman-Lois Lane relationship go into the Mark and Abby relationship in that I was tr when I was started the book, I was trying to figure out what her job was going to be. And I toyed around with the idea of her being a lawyer and him getting to work with her in a professional capacity, which I just thought had too many conflicts of interest and would have been too cutesy. I thought about making her a graphic designer because I have a lot of stories from having done that. And I figured I could fall back on that. But mostly I wanted her to be awesome at something that wasn't what he did. And because there's a real there's a real movement trend in comics and in a lot of entertainment that you make the woman as awesome as the guy, mm -hmm. and I think that's boring from the standpoint. Like in the Green Lantern movie, which is just a you know two hours of mistakes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you don't make yeah you don't make Carol Ferris pilot because she is by definition the second best pilot next to Hal Jordan. You don't make the Invisible Woman a scientist in a movie that's got Fantastic Four and Doom. You make the Invisible Woman a great PR person, someone who can run the organization and do something Reed can't. I, I do like the scene in Green Lantern where Carol Harris gets the contract back because she negotiates with with whatever senator or congressman or you know whatever was going on there. But it shows that she's awesome at being a businesswoman as he is awesome at being a pilot. So I didn't want Abby to have to compete with Mark in terms of being a superhero, but she runs an awesome bookstore. And it's also important when you're writing any characters, um, but 
comics have such a track record with uh, not particularly well thought out female characters that she had to want something that wasn't Mark. She had to have some goal that wasn't just, I want to get married. Mm-hmm. So you could do stories mm-hmm. about her wanting something that wasn't just the relationship. She's not defined by it. It's just a huge part of her life, though. Hmm. Your fe- the female characters all through this. Charlotte is just a ball of fun, certainly. Oh, she's uh, my favorite. Uh, but Amazonia had a long character change here all through this. As I just have reread them all over the weekend. When you read it that way and see where she began, sort of uppity, snooty, you know, Amazon princess to, wow, loving, caring, has friends, has made a different life for herself. How did, how did that arc come about? Was that there at the beginning? Or? Uh, no. Uh, Amazonia was supposed to appear in the first issue, and I never had any plans for her after that. And she struck such a co- chord. And the issues were coming out every three months, so I had a lot of time to, to you know, kind of roll with what reaction I was getting and incorporate that into the next book. Then I realized she had to be part of it, which is why her appearance in issue two is a little forced in because I didn't want to not have her in the book. Oh. Um, the biggest part of her arc, though, came about because in issue six, when they get engaged it's funny to try to break up a relationship. It's not funny to try to break up a marriage. Uh-huh. So once Mark and Abby were getting married, you had to transition the Amazonia character into being something different. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like the, the bit that you get where she writes this tell all book, leaving out Mark's identity, but, but tells yep. a lot of stuff. So she hits a low and then finds her way back. And one of the things that happens that's not explored to the level that I'd like is that when she starts hanging out with a shapeshifter who says he's Mark, that's supposed mm-hmm. to kind of reset the character and get her back to the point she was kind of in the first issue oh. where she's hung up again on Mark. But she's in a different place where she, you know, these two people are going to have a commitment and she's got to figure out a way to deal with it. So it keeps her off her game until uh, until the wedding. Uh, yeah, I've actually got a question for you. Uh, without spoiling anything, because I know it's brand new, but uh, in the newest arc, what to expect? How did you arrive at the sex of the baby? Like, how did, did was there any ever any chance where you were going to make it the opposite of what it ended up being? I thought about it, but when I came up with what happens at the end of sex, mm-hmm. for a bunch of reasons, it, it has to be the sex it is. Okay. Um, because that that payoff will not work if the baby is a different sex. Yes. No, no I, I understand that completely. Did you ever did you ever play with the idea though for like like workshop it a little bit? Oh, I did. I I was trying to figure out you know if it, if it was going to be a boy or a girl and what the names the names were the hardest part. I I couldn't figure out <laughs> I couldn't figure out what to name the kid. Um, I love the I, back I, and forth as they okay. decide what yeah what the, uh, why the name is what it is and their varying reasons. As you hear both Abby and Mark say, well, it's because of it's named for so and so. Yeah, it's it's nice when you're choosing names that you can find multiple reasons to make the name work. <laughs> so, and and as someone who dodged out uh, on being called Norman the Third because my dad stepped in and said, "No, you are not doing that kid that name to my son." Um, you know, that trying to figure out the right name, the appropriate name was uh, was a big deal to me. Do we have uh, more listener questions? We do actually have a listener who wanted to know um, a little bit off the topic of loving capes just. Uh, Tom, and this is from um, Christian 
uh, Christian, he says, uh, what, what comics or books do you read uh, and do you get inspiration from them? Um, I read a fair amount, not as many as I used to. I think some of it is that whole scene, how the sausages get made <laughs> uh, thing, but I read anything by Mark Wade. And nice. and I will freely admit I'm friends with Mark Wade, but um, he and I I think share a, a definite Silver Age charming sensibility. Wow, that just sounds arrogant. <laughs> um, but a lot of the stuff he did when he was writing Flash, um, mm-hmm. where he was you know he was kind of writing a sitcom, dramedy comic book where whatever for a while whatever problem. Be- Wally was facing would help him solve the villain problem at the end of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he comes from a place where he doesn't, he can make really interesting stories without making the characters just bleak and dark. He's done it with Hulk. He's done it with Daredevil. Um, that there, there's so much cool stuff to being a superhero that you don't always have to go to the dark gritty place. Mm-hmm. And that it's sometimes can be just as interesting to see something work right as to see it work wrong. Well, on that so, level, uh, I, I love... Oh, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, I read Grant Morrison's Action Comics. Uh, I read Justice League. Um, the Simpsons comics, I think, are brilliant. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm reading. So. Well, what I was just going to say is the uh, the Dark Blade Crusader stuff reads to me like Superman, Batman, World's Finest things from the 60s and 70s. So just what you're talking about there, how did that... Did you know that going in, there would have to be that way for those two? I... It's important to give characters someone to talk to, especially if you're not going to have, you know, omniscient or, you know, first person narration right. through the whole thing, which is part of the reason Charlotte finds out so quickly that Mark is the crusader, because I wanted Abby to have somebody that she could talk to about what was going on with Mark. Um, the idea of superheroes hanging out uh, just made sense to me. You're having a coffee and, on top and, of a building. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I always love the, the Superman Batman relationship and it's, from the seventies. And it's one of those things that there's part of me that feels that if you're going to discard a really good idea like that and just going to not touch it, then it's okay. If I pick it up, if you're not going to do anything with it <laughs> and Superman and Batman, I love the idea that these two guys were, you know, couldn't be more different, but they were like the best of friends and they would hang out, you know, for a while they were going on camping trips, I think. And it just, just all that glorious silver age stuff where if either one of them got a jam, and the interesting thing is their jams would always be different. Superman would need to be thought out of a problem. Right. And Batman would need physical force out of a problem because those two characters, you know, one is power and one is intellect. Um, so having those two people realize as opposed to what you see in a lot of, you know, the modern take on the character where they're at, at opposite ends, they say, no, you're exactly the person I need backing me up because I'm going to hit a problem that I'm not going to be able to solve. And chances are you're the one who's going to be able to take care of it. That's lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bobby, any more questions you want to ask? Sure. Really, really, really quickly here uh, on the, on the art thing. I noticed that Abby beyond being rounder as we move through the, the six issues, it seemed as if her facial characteristics were somewhat softer as she was becoming a mom to be. Uh, conscious decision or just style evolution? No, no, that was done intentionally. Um, I do, I do soften the character throughout the course of what to expect um, because she's put on weight. Um, I tried to be cognizant of a lot of changes that happen with women as they're pregnant. I, I did research. Um, I, I have friends who their 
they're the parents of my godchildren. So I read all their books and frequently asked them questions. So I read the girlfriend's guide to getting pregnant and what to expect while you're expecting and, and all that stuff just so that I, you know, felt like I could be kind of, you know, cause it's not something I've gone through in, in any way, shape or form. So I wanted to make sure I researched it right. And, and I, had very specific character designs for her for every trimester so that she was, I knew when she was putting on what weight, what point, you know, she was going to start shimmering, what point it was going to start getting a little softer so that she, you know, the evolution seemed right as the, as the book progressed. I, that was amazing. I also love this, that panel early, it's the first issue of the What to Expect was, you know, what have you done to me? <laughs> when she can't get, can't get herself a glass of wine after she's already lost her coffee for the year. Uh, for the duration. That's exactly, my friend got pregnant a little while ago and that's like the first thing she did when she found out she couldn't like smoke or have coffee or have wine. She was like, what have you done? So that made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, that, that was because that's exactly how I would have felt. I, I give up coffee for Lent every year and that is rough. Um, I can't imagine having to go coffee and wine. Um, I, I would go nuts. So well, It's great that when they switch bodies for that issue, Oh, the, she's allowed. I gotta that. say, yeah. I'm I'm happy with the end of the series, but that might be my favorite issue. <laughs> that was because my favorite issue. I could have actually. I could have been a double sized issue with them switch bodies. There was just so much stuff there. I like when they uh they walk into them in the living room and they look like they just finished something up. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like they're like like you wouldn't. Just, it was genius. It was awesome. We were busy. That, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is one of the two times that 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 characters have done that in the course of the book um, because you can't tell in the first, before they get married, if they ever sleep together. And that's intentional um, because it's not, that's not important to the story. Also because this is going to sound smack. And, and if he hears this, I hope he, he takes it in, in the spirit it's intended. But I asked myself, would Kevin Smith write this scene? And if the answer is yes, then I do not write it. Okay. No, it's a different so universe. Want, yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to focus on the relationship aspect of it. So a lot of the sex stuff is very much off the table. And it, it became a little weird to me once I got married because then they were having sex and I couldn't not mention it because they were. You, you, um, and I'm just very conscious of, well, the book's not written for kids. My goddaughter reads it and it's designed to be family friendly. There's nothing. There's nothing in it that wouldn't be on, you know, on network TV. It's mm. it's meant to be approachable. And a lot of the double entendres, not that there are that many, but like the scene you discuss, um, if you know what's going on, you know what's going on. But if you don't know what's going on, you're going to miss that entirely. Mm. So when I, when I get parents ask me, you know, if it's appropriate, I you know, I say, well, this is what it's about. And, you know, there's a double entendre. But if your kid understands the double entendre, that's not actually my fault. Right. <laughs> well, so you mentioned, you know, being on TV. I've said this repeatedly to people. Um, I get a, a lot of a vibe of the old bewitched. You have the, the power is switched in essence, but that's sort of charming, romantic. One can, one can't. And they had their child, couple of them actually. It's the same idea. It was all off screen, but there you knew it. You knew they were adults in love, as these two people are. Abby and Mark are definitely, definitely in love, which is so great to see in a book. We don't see enough of that. Oh, thank you. I yeah, I I like writing. I, I think in one of my intros to the book, 
I say that I've I've introduced comics to the bold concept of having a happy relationship. Um, <laughs> if it weren't for Reed and Sue, I would have the longest running relationship in comics. Uh, Reed and Sue are the longest running super powered couple. Because um, I've I've debated making T-shirts, and it's just the the finances of making T-shirts that have kept me from doing it. But that uh, say comics longest running. Uh, superhero ordinary girl couple and Abby yelling, who you calling ordinary? But, <laughs> nice. That'd be a great shirt. You'd, you'd really sell them around shirt. here, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's good to know. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, the fourth volume of Loving Capes, it comes out on March 19th. Am I right about that? Uh, you may know better than me. I, I just know it's coming out in March. Okay, so. well, I got, I'm got i on Amazon right now, and it says this item will be released on March 19th, 2013. So. Okay, then that's that's probably pretty accurate. It might be out a week or two in advance at comic shops. Okay, absolutely. Sometimes right. Amazon gets stuff afterwards. Yeah. Um, so that's coming out um, on March 19th uh, or you know earlier at your local comic shop. Um, and you also have, uh, I believe it's uh, on uh, February 27th, um, My Little Pony oh, Micro Series yeah. Number One Twilight yes. Sparkle. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I wrote and drew My Little Pony. Yeah. And really quick, just what was that like taking on such a, such a popular property right now and kind of being in that world? It it's a little daunting. I mean, I'm I've caught up on the cartoon. I enjoy the cartoon, but what I hang on to is I think I was like Harv Bennett when he wrote uh, Star Trek II. Mm-hmm. Um, not that in any way Twilight. My Twilight Sparkle issue is awesome as Star Trek 2, mostly because of the lack of Shatner in yeah, mine. Absolutely. Um, no Ricardo Montalban either. No. Oh, God. Anyway, I, I will go off on a. T- uh, we're not going there. Um, I love that movie with a blazing hot passion. Um, but I think a lot of times you can become such a fan of something that it makes it hard for you to write that story mm-hmm. so coming in a little bit from the outside and and getting you know getting my feet wet and learning the characters and appreciating the characters and hopefully i bring something unique to the my little pony universe and in, in writing and drawing it um drawing on on model was a little rough um it was the you know the the process of learning how to draw the ponies in the time frame we had was it was certainly a challenge and i'm I'm very happy with how the final product went out, and and Hasbro seems to be happy. So, it, you know, as long as they're happy, I'm I'm thrilled with it. But uh, but it it was different. It it was weird to have to write a comic book the way that I was taught in school, because when I write Love and Capes, I write on post-it notes. Every every panel has two jokes, so I just write a post-it note for each beat. Um, I actually had to write a script and submit it, and then I had to do layouts, and that it's been forever since I've had to do that. My love and capes process is, you know, pretty internalized, and then this product comes out because I've done all the steps in my head, but I wasn't able to do that with Pony. So, wow. but yeah, and I got the first issue, and I'm I'm thrilled about that. So I'm I'm gonna see if uh, I'm not saying that I'm gonna do as well as Katie Cook, but it would be nice to have a book chart on the diamond level hopefully when that issue comes out yeah so, you, i think you'll probably yeah. be, i think you're probably you're pretty safe. safe bet yeah <laughs> i can't believe how excited i am for this <laughs> no my little pony's been good yeah it's been fun yeah and now that fun. now yeah. that i know that you're writing one i'm like doubly psyched yeah th- this may be the issue that makes you cry so um, <laughs> in a good way sparkly but, tears heck, i do that with love and capes as it is <laughs> and it's get my cutie capes. marks and crying uh <laughs> i know bob is curious about this is, is any more love and capes in in the future Coming down the All line. Right, so, I am taking a break. It, okay. It's not that I'm. It's not that I'm done with the book, but for a bunch of reasons, I've produced the last twelve issues of Love and Capes at, at this 
relentless pace. And I want to make sure that I don't burn out and start doing stuff because because it's the easy way and not because it's the right way. Mm -hmm. If you notice, every once in a while in Love and Capes, you'll hit a page that's a silent joke or the humor comes about because of physical and not because of, of dialogue. And I do that partially because I just because I think it's funny, but also because I want to make sure that I'm not falling on a crutch of telling a story the same way, telling a joke the same way. Um, I see that in a lot of TV shows. Like, weirdly enough, Star Trek Voyager had... You know, it was the same type of story. You could chart it out and say, all right, we're 35 minutes in. Here's where this happens. Um, and I don't want to do that. So I respect my characters enough that I want to I want to make sure that I take a break from it and and come back to it fresh when I know what's happening next. Um, so I'm not done with them, but I, I just I just need to mess around with some other stuff and, and you know, maybe start a new project or hopefully, uh, you know, it'd be nice to do my, more My Little Pony or it'd be nice if DC would finally say, hmm, we have a superhero, Superman, Wonder Woman relationship. Who who in comics could we get to write that? <laughs> um, so I just want to explore some other things before I come back to Love and Capes and, and come back fresh and energized and not, you know, the, the last issue – I wrote in a car um, because I was I was coming out to LA for a couple months. Mm -hmm. So I, because of the deadline, I I actually had a notebook with me as I was driving. Would write down every joke I thought of on the way. Um, I turned I wrote, drew, inked, colored, lettered the book in a month, and that's wow. for doing all that. Even with my process, that's insane. And I just mm -hmm. I needed some space where Love and Capes wasn't the thing on my shoulders for a little bit. I remember following you on Twitter through that process. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like watching somebody go slowly insane. It's delightful. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know if you were going to make it for a few days. <laughs> Neither did I. I. I'm glad it didn't hit during Lent because when I had to do Love and Capes and there's no coffee, oh, that's not pleasant. I couldn't even imagine. Oh, couldn't that's not, where Abby gets that. that. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of that kind of withdrawal stuff. That that comes from a very real place. <laughs> well, Tom, thank you so much uh, for joining us again. Uh, Loving Capes Volume Four is out in March, and uh, My Little Pony Micro Series Number One Twilight Sparkle is out in February. And you guys should definitely pick both of those things up. So, uh, Tom Zoller, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Comics. Thanks for having me. 